Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks again, Sandy. That, uh, you know, again, thank you so much for taking the time to do that. We're uh, going to be switching back to in-person service uh, beginning next week, which will be on Resurrection Sunday, so Easter Sunday. We'll be meeting together at 1030, so hopefully you guys can be there, as many of you as, as possible can be there. Um, you know, we'll still be doing mass. Uh, we'll still be doing social distancing. We'll be doing all the things that we need to do. We'll clean the place down and everything that needs to be done our end just to make sure that everybody feels safe and welcome. Um, but please, you know, join us. We, we really just to be together in fellowship. I mean, it's, it's such an important thing and I'm grateful for this time. This, uh, this, this particular time going through zoom to me was much, much better, uh, than the first time we did it. The first time it felt forced and it was something I didn't like because I really wanted to be, you know, just in person with people. But this last time on there, I really felt like there was actually a real need for it. And uh, the Lord was blessing it. And, and I know that it's been a blessing to several people who can't come to church. Um, we'll still be recording our services. Uh, you'll be able to watch them afterwards. At this point, I don't have a plan for, for doing any kind of live broadcast, but uh but we will be recording them, and if you're not able to join us, then you'll be able to watch it on the website or download the podcast or anything like that. So that'll be available for you. Uh, but, you know, thank you to everyone who's has been a part on of this. Um, it's been a huge blessing to me every week to see how many people are showing up for it. And uh, even though it's not perfect, um, it provides something for some sort of fellowship and getting in the Word. So thank you guys so much for being a part of it. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a blessing for myself uh, to see that every week. So uh, with all that being said, why don't you guys join with me? We'll get in prayer, and then uh, we'll get into the Word, and we will be in Genesis chapter 29. Uh, we'll be picking it up in verse 20, so Genesis 29, 20, and let's pray, and we'll get in the Word. So, Father God, we do thank you, Lord, that we have had this time together, and yes, it has been imperfect, um, and, and you know, there's some things that are lacking by doing it on Zoom, but uh, thank you, Lord, for giving us that option that we have that as an option, that we could still fellowship with each other and laugh with each other and pray for one another and uh, just to be able to encourage once, one another during the week. And uh, I thank you for that, Lord, that you provide that for us. And uh, now as, as we start making plans to meeting in person once again, I pray that you would bless that as well, Lord, that you would allow us to be able just be able to worship with each other and have fellowship and pray for one another and uh, to see each other, Lord. It's so important uh, that we see each other. And uh, how encouraging that is, Lord, just to be able to do that again. So, Father, I just pray that you would please bless that and uh, help us as we transition into this. Uh, we pray that you would help us with, you know, just this time in your word. Uh, Lord, there's a work that you want to do in each of our hearts. And uh, you often accomplish that by the power of your Holy Spirit through the teaching of your word. So, Lord, would you please do that today? Meet us individually right where we are in life. And speak directly to our hearts, Lord, and help us to have the witness of your Holy Spirit uh, that lets us know that you are applying this to our lives individually. So help us, Lord, in these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we saw how uh, Jacob, we saw Jacob go to his uncle Laban's home and uh, to find the woman that he wanted to marry. If you remember, Laban had two daughters and Jacob wanted the younger one, Rachel, to be his bride. Um, as we saw last week, you know, he didn't bring any wealth with him to the table. Uh, all he had were the promises of God, and he didn't necessarily have the camels or the gold or everything that his father uh, was able to provide at that time when he had his bride from that same area. So in this situation, Laban figured out, okay, this guy's not going to give me any cash. He doesn't have anything to give us, you know, monetarily. So we'll make an agreement, and you're going to work for me for seven years. 
serving me. You know, you're not going to get paid for it. And that'll be your dowry to pay for my daughter if you want her hand in marriage. Now, we need to know that that was actually twice as long as a normal servant's wage. So uh, according to what tradition was at that time on how much a dowry would be for a bride, he really served about twice as long as what he would normally have to serve to raise enough money to earn the dowry. But he didn't care because he wanted to marry Rachel. That that It was worth it to him, as we saw last week. He literally had love at first sight. I mean, he just fell in love with her, and that's the woman he wanted to marry. Uh, verse 20 kind of picks it up right after those seven years that went by. It says, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his, met, his maid Zilpha to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And she said to Laban, I'm sorry, and he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for your service, which you will serve with me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also, and Laban gave his main Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. Now, you know, it's hard to believe that 14 years are condensed into these, really these, <laughs> these 11 verses, but 14 years are condensed into this. And it starts out kind of sounding like a Hallmark movie. You know, it's like, oh, and it's, they seem like only a few days to Jacob, you know, as he was working these seven years for his wife. But it quickly degenerates into this whole like Jerry Springer episode. I, I don't know what the contemporary version of that would be, whatever's equivalent to it. But I think of like Jerry Springfield when I was growing up where things got nasty and weird and like the ugliness of everybody happened. That happened really quick in this whole wedding scenario here. But for us, you know, it's hard for us to imagine how Laban could have pulled this off the way that he did, you know. But we have to remember, you know, in that culture, which they lived, the father held enormous power as the patriarch of the family, you know, and although we can look at it and say, well, that was clearly wrong what he had done, you know, Jacob, Jacob and his wives would have to tolerate his actions. They would have to, you know, and they would have to patiently play along with his games in order not to violate the customs of that day, because that was what customs demanded, the traditions demanded. You know, it's, it's kind of, I was thinking about that. It's kind of the opposite, the complete opposite. And I'm not saying by any means, that it was right what Laban had done, but, you know, for them to have to kind of submit and abide to that, even being deceived that the way that they were deceived, you know, it's, it's completely opposite of today's culture where, you know, there's really nothing that people honor above their own desires. You know, if, if you desire something, all that matters is that you get it, no matter what it costs, you know, and, it, and we're so opposite of that, and neither is right. Um, but in that particular scenario, you know, back then it was like the patriarch, the dad, whatever he said, whatever he did, that's what was going to be done. And you just had to deal with it. And you had to honor that because everybody demanded that you would do it. You know, some people might still ask, though, but how is it even possible? How did how did that happen? Like, how did he deceive him? You know, how was he not able to know which woman he was actually going to, you know, go into that he was going to have this relationship with this intimacy with? 
you know, on the night of his wedding. A lot of it, you know, we need to understand kind of what the typical wedding was like in that day. You know, from one commentary, it says the typical wedding featured processions to and from the bride's dwelling. There was also the reading of the marriage contract. The feast was attended by both families and the community. And the first day's festivities ended with the groom wrapping his cloak around the bride and taking her into his tent where the marriage was consummated. Following that, the feast continued for six more days. Now, based on this kind of celebration that was going on, remember this was a week-long celebration. It's very likely that there was a lot of wine flowing during this time too, you know, because it was part of that culture and, and they drank a lot of wine and that was part of the celebrations that were being consumed during that time. Uh, it's also mentioned in verse 23 that it was evening when Jacob took his bride into his tent to consummate their marriage. You know, it wouldn't be until the light of day and possibly I was thinking maybe until sobriety kicked in a little bit that he would actually see who he just consummated his marriage with. You know, he was taken in at nighttime. Who knows, you know, if they were a little tipsy, who knows what was going on. But then he takes her into the tent. They do their thing and then wake up in the morning and realize, whoa, you know, what is this? What happened here? You know, it, it kind of, man, I hate to think of it this way, but I think of how many tragedies have unfolded over the years under the cover of darkness and whenever there was the influence of drugs or alcohol. You know, I, whether whether those things happened to you or you were a part of those things or you heard of those things, all of us are all aware of tragedies that occurred when you take darkness, a parting, a celebrating kind of atmosphere, you add alcohol, you add drugs, you add any of those things where people are not thinking clearly, and suddenly some tragedies occur in people's lives. Uh, even as I was doing this and I was preparing that and that thought was kind of going through my head, I, you know, that day I looked on the news and I saw what had happened to that poor girl in uh, in Florida during spring break. And she put herself in that situation um, where she ended up, you know, again, she was I don't know if they gave her a pill and, and knocked her out or what the deal was. But, you know, it was pretty horrible what happened to her. I won't go into the details. But again, it just made me think of, you know, darkness and drugs or alcohol. And it's a bad combination. It's a bad combination for people. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, besides that, I think we can all look at the situation and we can understand why Jacob was so irate with his new father-in-law. And certainly, you know, there was no good excuse that would justify his deceptive acts here. There was nothing that he, that he could say, well, this was the right thing to do because it was not the right thing to do. Uh, just think about everybody who was affected by this decision and how all this happened. You know, I started thinking about it. You know, can you imagine how angry Jacob was, how how infuriated he would be that he worked seven years? That was the deal. He was going to work for free <clears throat> twice as long as what would normally be sufficient to earn that amount of money. He worked seven years for Laban, served him like a slave, only to have his father-in-law switch out his bride on the night of his wedding. It was never like brought to him like three years into it, four years into it. Like, hey, I'm kind of rethinking this. And, you know, we, we can't do that to Leah. Leah's going to have to be married first. No, he just completely waited for the whole thing. And then the night where the marriage was going to be consummated, then he makes his move. I can't imagine the fury that he felt at that moment when he woke up. You know, can you imagine what Leah felt like? You know, that poor lady, just think about her and her situation as she realized. Can you imagine the conversation that went down? When her dad started telling her about his plan, can you imagine as she figured out that she was like, well, wait a second, you're saying that the only way I can get a husband is you have to trick a man 
to 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 consummate the marriage with me there's there's no other way I'm going to get a marry you get a marriage out of this you don't think anybody will marry me I mean how, what did that do for her it must have just broken her heart as her dad was coming up with this plan and saying oh this is what we're going to do to get you a husband you know man just how what a terrible thing you know what about Rachel you know somewhere along the way she had to be privy to what was going on maybe it was that night you know that she found out about that imagine that she was sitting there looking forward to the stage. She was going to marry this man that she loved, that she fell in love with. He had earned her. I mean, he had done everything sacrificed to earn her in marriage. And uh, and now she finds out that she's going to have to sit this one out, that it's going to be her older sister who's going to marry the man that she loves. I mean, I can't even imagine the devastation that was occurring during this time from this decision that Laban was making because there was no winners here. You know, um, I wonder if Laban's deception was even more painful for Jacob because you can't miss the irony, you know, that Jacob was a deceiver and he deceived his brother, you know, with the birthright. And then he deceived his father with the blessing and his brother again. I can't imagine, you know, how that stung him when that happened to him, because some of the most painful things that we go through in life are when we get a taste of our own medicine when maybe we've done some wrongs in the past and we've done some things that have hurt some people and we justified it and we said, oh no, this was, you know, I had to do this. And then you end up in a situation where somebody does something similar to you and how angry that makes you feel, how hurt you feel when somebody does the same thing to you. It's, it's almost the worst pain is when you get caught with something that you've done against other people and, and how that just burns you when that happens. You know, how did Laban respond to Jacob's complaint? In verse 26, it says, and Laban said, it may must it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, so he gave him his daughter Rachel, his wife, also. Now, like I said, there was no excuse for it, but here's the excuse that he was making. This is what he says. Okay, so basically saying you're stuck with Leah. You know, once that marriage is consummated, you know, she's yours. You you can't do that to her. Like now, because the marriage has been consummated, she is your wife. There's no way around that. But here's my idea. Just agree to work for me another seven years, not just the first seven that you agreed, but now agree to work for me for another seven years, and I'll give you, Rachel, the one that you wanted on top of that. So you'll have two wives, not just one, but two. And I won't even make you wait till the end of those seven years. If you agree to do this, you can have her now after we finish celebrating this wedding for, for Leah. You can go into Rachel as well, consummate the marriage with her. And now you can have her and we'll do like a seven year same as cash type deal. You know, you you have your wife just the way you wanted and now you just pay it off for the next seven years. No interest charge. It was a great deal. It's the beginning of that whole strategy. You know, so when we think about this, here he was a week ago. Jacob thought that he was about to marry the love of his life and begin a new chapter of his life with her. Imagine how excited he was. He's like, the promises that God has given me, and now I'm going to start this family, and I have my wife, and we'll have kids, and we'll have a multitude of descendants, and just the anticipation that he must have felt knowing that these things were about to begin. But then after working seven long years to pay that dowry, he ends up with not one, but two wives, and one of them he didn't want. He, he's got two wives now, and on top of that, he gets two of their handmaids, which were their servants as well. You know, and this was far from a harmonious 
relationship. This was not like, oh, yeah, everybody's going to get along. This was this was a bad situation. Like there's ever an example of multiple wives being a good thing. There's you'll see lots of examples in Scripture where where kings and other rulers made that decision to have multiple wives. We saw it in the past. It never worked out good. Never. There's never a good example where that was a good thing. You know, hmm, I wonder why, you know, but I do have to I feel obligated once again to kind of bring that up. You know, when when people look at situations like this in Scripture and then they try to justify these things and they're like, well, polygamy clearly was something that was practiced in the Old Testament. Well, yes, there was a lot of things practiced in the Old Testament. I mean, there was murder practiced. Uh, there was, you know, all kinds of things that were practiced in the Old Testament. It does not mean that just because God faith, faithfully records events in Scripture that he necessarily condones those things. Don't mistake that. Just when you come to the Bible and you see examples of, of people making horrible decisions, don't assume that just because some of your favorite Bible characters, maybe your heroes of the Bible, just because they made some decisions like what you want to do, it doesn't mean that God justifies that or that God accepts that as being his will. You know, that that's not the way it's supposed to be. And then, you know, maybe it serves as an example to us, you know, here in our culture that, that number one, we have to understand that God created marriage a very specific way. It was one man, one woman. That was the way that God created it. That He was the one who designed it. You know, and we have to remember that sometimes, that we have to take it back to the creator of who created the thing, and he created marriage. That was God's idea. It was something that he gave to mankind to be a blessing to them and to, to populate their earth. That's what God did. Uh, it was his design, and it was one man, one woman. That was the plan. There was no optional arrangements. He didn't say, or you can try this, or you can try this, or hey, what about this? There was no other arrangements. It was one man, one woman. That was marriage. When we talk about marriage, that's the definition of marriage. That's what it is. That's the original definition. Just because something becomes popular in culture does not mean that it's acceptable to God. We have to remind ourselves of this because we're inundated now. We live in an age where anything goes, and I mean anything. It's it's rapidly deteriorating to that. You know, I started hearing something, you know, recently on a podcast where they were talking about, I forget what the percentages were, but it was astronomical of what the percentage is now for people who cohabitate with each other, and that's basically... Uh, you know, uh, a person living with another person in a sexual relationship outside of marriage. You know, um, I can't even say a man and a woman in that. I mean, it's like cohabitating a person and a person, you know, that, that are living in that situation. Um, now, even within the church, that number is huge, that you have so many people that are so inundated and they're so influenced by culture that they have basically, the church is thrown in the towel and they're like, oh, it's totally okay. God can bless that. It doesn't matter. Well, no, you know, that's one of the, the perversions of marriage that has happened is so many people don't even think marriage is really an option. It's not something they want to do. They would prefer to stay, you know, in, in a situation where they're not even married, you know. So cohabitation over marriage, that's something that's happening in our generation. Uh, clearly, we have the homosexual unions that are occurring. Uh, that's not sanctioned by God. That's nothing that, that he said that he wanted. That wasn't an option you know, for marriage, but that's something that culture says is good and uh, that it's something that should be happening. Now, a big one that's happening, and I brought it up a few times, and it's kind of like what we're seeing right here, this polyamorous relationships, you know, 
Um, and what that is, is this is kind of sweeping through our culture right now where it's becoming hip and trendy uh, for maybe more than two people. It could be two, it could be three, four, five, six, it could be however many people, but they basically enter into this this relationship that they say is marriage. It's it's a committed relationship with each other, all of them together. So they don't they don't cheat on one another outside of that relationship, but they have many partners and they're all involved in a dedicated relationship with each other. That's something that's happening a lot. And now even I'm hearing of things where churches are condoning of those things. And what about, you know, the next step that's going to happen, which we're already hearing is going to, is already, they're, they're trying to get some laws and things in place. And that's really just sanctions pedophilic relationships, you know, where, where now it's, it's an adult with a child, you know, and, and that's coming guys. If, if you think it's not, I promise you that's coming. That happens on every culture that embraces these things. That's one of the next steps that are going to take place. But once again, just because culture says these things are okay does not mean that God says these things are okay. And just because you have examples of these things in scripture does not mean that God condones it because you're going to see every one of those situations that occurred, there were consequences for those decisions. And we will see, you know, those things happening, uh, the consequences happening throughout the rest of Genesis. Um, all throughout scripture, you know, we're going to see, you know, that there's tragic things that happen as a result of it. Uh, and Jacob is not going to be spared of those consequences. There's going to be tragedies that occur within the, that family unit where you have the two wives. And we're going to see there's going to be other things added to it on there where there's going to be some real harsh consequences in their relationships. Uh, verse 31, let's kind of look next, see what happens. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will love, oh, I'm sorry, will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name shall be called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Now there's a lot to be troubled by in these verses. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it's a little bit refreshing to read verse 31, where it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her wound, um, her womb, but Rachel was barren. Notice that God didn't change the way that Jacob felt about her. That, that was one thing that, you know, that you can't miss. And I'm sure that at that time, Leah would have preferred to have God just change Jacob's heart towards her that he would just love her because that's what she wanted over and over and over. She thought, if I give him another child, if I give him another son, then he will love me. But God didn't change his heart. He he never fell, or at least up to this point, never fell in love with her. He was never madly in love, even though that's what she wanted more than anything. Instead, God chose to bless her another way. He was blessing her a different way. And I think that God often does that in our lives. You know, when we have to endure some sort of hardship in our life, uh, maybe there's some things, some major disappointment in our life, and we just feel like, man, you know, God, I, I wanted this thing so badly for my life, and we're disappointed, and we're kind of heartbroken over it not coming to pass. Sometimes he grants to us other blessings 
so that we still can be grateful in the midst of some things that we still desire, you know? Um, more than children, she wanted Jacob's love. So much so that the, the problem with that is when you get stuck in that place where you want something so bad for your life that no matter what God gives you, what blessings he bestows upon you, no matter what ways he does it, you can't see it because you're so focused on the one thing you don't have. You know, she was so blessed in so many different ways. She should have been celebrating all the things that were happening, but she was so blinded by her own disappointments that she couldn't fully enjoy the blessings that God had provided to her. That is until her fourth son. Um, let's read through these names a little bit because it's very telling of what was going on in her heart. You know, the first son was Reuben and the name meant see a son, <laughs> you know, like see a son, you know, uh, in verses 29, 32, it says, the Lord has surely looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. So she understood that God had blessed her by giving her a child, that he looked upon her affliction and he blessed her with the child. But she was assuming that because she gave him a child, gave, you know, gave Jacob a child, that he would return by loving her because of that. Then the second son, when that didn't happen, she called him hearing. In verse 33, it says, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. He has therefore given me the son also. So she understood that the Lord looked upon her affliction. She knew that the Lord heard her cries because of that. She was learning all those things, but she thought that God gave her a son so that she could earn Jacob's love. It still didn't satisfy her. Then you have Levi, which means joined. And in verse 34, it says, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So like she, she's like, he's going to love me so much. He's not going to want any other woman. He's going to want me because of all the sons that I provided. But that didn't happen. You know, then in the fourth son, we see a difference here. We have Judah, which Judah means praise. And simply she said, now I will praise the Lord. Do you notice the difference there? So for the first three sons, it was like, because I've given Jacob a son, he will love me. Because I gave Jacob a son, now he's going to want to be with me. Because I gave Jacob a son, now he's going to be attached to me. He's not going to want any other woman. And then finally, by the fourth son, she simply said, now I will praise the Lord. One commentator says, instead of complaining to the Lord about her unresponsive husband, she was now praising the Lord for his blessings. You know, and I, I think we need to learn from this example. You know, what does it take for us to finally get to the place where we can just be grateful and worship God for what he has given us instead of allowing our disappointments to steal the joy of all the blessings that he's already provided? You know, sometimes, again, we do the same thing. We, we want so badly for that new house or, you know, that marriage or we want, you know, that job or we want all these things. If God would just give me this, then my life would be so much better. It would be perfect. All of my problems would be solved. And in the meantime, God is stacking up the blessings in other ways. He hasn't given you that blessing, but there's so many other blessings he's given you. But you can't see it because you're blinded by your own disappointment. You know, somewhere along the way, we have to wake up and begin to praise God for the blessings he has given us, recognizing that even if we never fully receive that one thing that we want so desperately, 
we still have tons of reasons to be grateful and find joy in the in those other ways that God has blessed us. That attitude change will change your life. See, because when you get so just you're you're so tunnel vision, and the only thing you think about is the thing you don't have and the thing that would make your life complete, and all you focus on is that thing right there, you're gonna be a miserable person. It's going to affect you. It's going to affect everyone around you. You're not going to find joy and satisfaction in anything because you're so focused on the thing you don't have. You know, I, I want to be like Leah on the fourth child. I want to be able to praise the Lord for what he has given me. I want to be grateful for what he has given to me, even if there's still some things that I don't have, even if there's some things that I wish I had or I thought would make my life more complete. I want to be able to rejoice in the things that he has provided up to that moment. I don't want to bless out or bless out. Yeah, I want to bless out. I don't want to miss out on the blessings that I have right now in the midst of imperfect circumstances. You know, I want to see the Judas in my life. I want to see that. I, I want to recognize when God does something. I want to hold up that baby and say, wow, God has blessed me. Look at the blessings he's given me. Look at what I do have. I want to be able to recognize that. You know, instead of being so tormented by the things I don't have or maybe the things that other people are doing to me. You know, I, I call that, you know, it's it's almost like we get we get ripped off by distracting disappointments. You know, those those disappointments in our lives that distract us from the blessings God has given to us. You know, and and I was I was tempted to finish off the chapter, but I'm not going to. I'm sorry. I know that's slowing things down. But I want us to stop right here and just think about this. You know, how about you? You know, are you so focused on the things you don't have? You know, the things that you don't have, the things that are messed up in your life right now, the, you know, you, you want so badly for this thing to come to pass. Are you so focused on that that you have become miserable, that you can't enjoy anything? And if God is bringing in blessings from other directions and he's giving you, you know, maybe they're small blessings, maybe they're big blessings, whatever it is, he's bringing in blessings into your life. Are you completely oblivious to them because you are so focused on the thing you don't have? You know, are, are those are those disappointments distracting you from the blessings God has provided? We have to be careful not to fall in that trap. We can't let our disappointments steal our joy. We can't let it happen. We can't let the disappointments in life steal our joy from the things that God is blessing us. We need to learn to see with open eyes the things that God has provided to us. Um, I think that all of us, allow disappointments to steal too much joy from us. You know, the disappointments of how things turned out. What about the things that went right? What about the things, the unexpected blessings that God has given you that are right there in front of you that you're not even seeing? We got to be careful not to fall into that trap. You know, we we have to wake up eventually and start moving on with our life. Uh, we have to, we can't dwell on the things we don't have. You know, Leah, we're going to see, she's still going to struggle with these things and she's still going to, get sucked into competition and all this stuff that's going to, it's still going to be a mess. There's a lot of things. It's not like she woke up and then she suddenly figured this all out. She had a moment of clarity where she finally could praise God. She had a moment of clarity. And I got to tell you, we're going to have moments of clarity, but the the problems of this life are going to come right back in. The challenges are going to be there and we're going to have to 
fight against our disappointments. We can't let them steal our joy. We have to continually struggle to make sure that we don't get so focused on those things that we miss the blessings God has given to us. So we're going to end it there today. Um, maybe open it up for some conversation. If you guys have some examples in your own life of some things that that maybe were, you know, like that for you. You know, you wanted something so bad, but it just never materialized in your life. And you wasted so much time and so much effort being disappointed on those things that you missed some of the blessings God did provide. Or maybe you have examples of how God blessed you in other ways, unexpected ways, ways that you never even thought he would. You did it, you know, the Lord did it in other ways. Maybe you can share that and give some encouragement uh, to some of the other people that are here today. So with that being said, you know, let's pray. And then uh, I'll turn off the recording and then we'll have those conversations if anybody would like to share some examples. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for this example. And man, this didn't turn out the way that, that any of them wanted it to. Everybody was disappointed. You know, Jacob was disappointed. Rachel was disappointed. Leah was disappointed. Everybody was disappointed. But Leah really struggled with it, Lord. She's such an example of somebody who just wanted love. She just wanted something so simple. She wanted the love of her husband, but she never got it. She never really received that. But yet at the same time, you were blessing her so mightily. You know, we're going to see how those men changed the course of the world. Uh, you gave her such incredible blessings through that, especially Judah, to think of that, that the Messiah would one day come from that line right there, that, you know, that Jesus himself would come through that. And to think of, man, she had no idea the blessing she was given to her. Lord, would you help us to stop and praise you for the things you have done good, even if there are still some things in our lives that are lacking? So, Lord, continue to please work on our hearts if, if we're struggling in these things, would you please wake us up? Help us to see what we're doing. Help us to see how disappointment is stealing our joy uh, so that we can praise you, so that we can worship you and be grateful for the good that you have shown us. I thank you for your word. I pray that you please continue to resonate these thoughts and these words in our hearts, Lord, and uh, reveal anything in us if we're struggling in these areas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.